What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. So we're going to do a little Chiefs-Pats preview with my buddy Alex Gold from 610 in Kansas City at the end of the week. And we'll also have some reaction to the Cavaliers and the Celtics on Thursday night. But I wanted to do something a little bit different tonight. And it's really interesting to me that we have the Patriots and the Chiefs playing on Sunday. And the Chiefs are who the Patriots used to be, right? They're the standard in the NFL right now. They have also the famous players, right? Mahomes is one of the most famous players in the league. In fact, he is the most famous player in the league right now. Tom Brady used to be that. Then you have Travis Kelsey, who you could argue right now is the second most famous player in the league now that Tom Brady is retired and now that he's dating Taylor Swift, right? So Brady became an immediate celebrity after the first Super Bowl, and it just continued to grow, right? And especially in the second dynasty, Patriots players became more popular, not just Brady, like Gronk became a sensation because of how crazy he was. He became recognizable as well. And with these two teams, when we're talking about the Patriots and the Chiefs, the good thing about this is at least there was a brief crossover, right, where they played in the 2018 AFC Championship game, the Patriots, of course, winning an arrowhead. But they both have similar stories if you think about the two organizations, right, where both with the quarterbacks, where they were good right away. Now, both got started in year two. Mahomes led the, or I should say, Mahomes started his final game of 17, but he didn't become the starter until 2018. And then with Tom Brady, he takes over in year two of his career when Bledsoe, of course, famously was hit by Mo Lewis. And both were good right away. Now, Mahomes was MVP level good, right? Brady was, hey, manage the game. But in fairness, that's what Tom was asked to do at the time. When he was asked to do more, he became an elite quarterback the following season, 2003-2004. He was awesome too. Whether the league, but I would say this, where the league was at in 2018, 
when Mahomes took over, he needed to be great, right? Like when Brady took over, he didn't need to be that guy. But the point is, both guys come in right away. Brady has the clutch gene immediately. Mahomes comes in in 2018, and he's already arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. So there is that similarity where both quarterbacks right away are good when they take over the job. And they were both likable at the beginning, right? Tom was the underdog story. And Mahomes has always been likable. He's like obsessed with ketchup early on in his career. And eventually people found reasons to dislike Tom Brady. Part of it is just when you win so much that happens. Maybe eventually that happens to Mahomes down the road here. But Mahomes, really, he hasn't had a hiccup until last week when he went nuts on the officiating. The whole back and forth with Josh Allen was awkward when he was talking about how bad the call was. He later said that he regretted saying that to Josh Allen, but really that's the only blip on his resume so far that you could say makes him unlikable, but he's really a likable guy, right? So they both had the likable quarterbacks. So even though the Patriots early dynasty, the first dynasty, I should say, was built on defense, Tom was a major, major part and none of it happens without Tom Brady, right? And Mahomes, he's the one that gets this thing going with the Chiefs, despite having a lot of talent around him, despite having a really good coach in Andy Reid. It's Pat Mahomes that makes the difference. It's Tom Brady that makes the difference. Now, with the Chiefs, I'm not ready to call them a dynasty yet. And this is not just me having my Patriots pajamas on saying, hey, I don't want to anoint the Chiefs a dynasty right now. But for me, you need to win three championships, or in this particular case, three Super Bowls to be in that class. Like, I don't, for example, consider the Astros to be a dynasty. Yeah, they won in 17, and we know there's some stuff around that one, and they won in 2022. But they didn't get the third, right? They've been close. They lost to the Nationals in an epic World Series in 19, and they lost to the Braves in 2021. This year, of course, they lost in the ALCS to the eventual champs, the Rangers. But they haven't won three. The Chiefs, since Mahomes took over, they play in the AFC Championship game every year. It's basically, and they've hosted it every year. They lost to the Pats in 18 in the AFC title game, beat the Niners in the Super Bowl in 19. They lost to Brady in 20 in the Super Bowl. They lost to the Bengals in 21 in the AFC title game. And of course, last year, they beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl. So they have two, but they're one away from being a dynasty. So this thing is only five years old. So they can easily add to that third championship in the near future. But right now, they're to me in Astros territory, not Patriots territory or Cowboys territory in the 90s where they won three of four or like the early Lakers three-peat when they won three championships in a row, right? They have time, but they need to get the third one, from my perspective, to be considered a dynasty. I don't think you can be a dynasty with only two Super Bowls in, say, a seven to eight-year window. I believe you need to get the third one. So, like, I don't consider the Broncos of the late 90s, where they won back-to-back, I don't consider them to be a dynasty. You have to win a third one to be considered a dynasty, at least from my perspective. You may disagree, but I think you need the third one to be a dynasty. So with this year in particular, if they're going to get it done— and I would never doubt them because they have Pat Mahomes as the best quarterback in the world. But obviously, they have an issue with their weapons, right? I mean, we all remember the call last week with Kadarius Tony lining up off sides, which is just idiotic. But if you look at the numbers this season, Mahomes is 18th in yards per attempt at 7.0. His interception percentage is at a career high, or I should say, yeah, a career high, career worst at 2.3%. He already has 11 picks, career worst is 13 Passer rating is a career worst, 93.3, which is not horrible, but it's 12th in the NFL tied with Justin Herbert. We expect Pat Mahomes to be in the top five in passer rating each and every year. And the similarity of the Patriots is if you look at 18, when the Patriots were going for their second dynastic run, right, where they had the two, they had 14, they had 16, 
but for the second dynastic run, they needed another Super Bowl. If you go to 18, Brady was 7th in passing yards. He was 12th in passer rating. He was just 13th in yards per attempt. So for Tom Brady, that's a pretty pedestrian season, right? So he was good, but not compared to his prime season. It's like if you just go to 2017, the year prior, when Brady threw for north of 500 yards in that Super Bowl against the Eagles, that year he wins the MVP. He was first in yards. He was fourth in yards per attempt. He was third in passer rating. So the numbers weren't there like they were the previous season, just like we're talking about Mahomes right now, right? And it wasn't Brady's fault when we talk about the dip. It was not Mahomes' fault this year so far either, right? Like Mahomes isn't the reason... He doesn't have the great numbers. Brady wasn't the reason. He didn't have the great numbers in 18. In 18 for Brady, Gronk wasn't prime Gronk anymore. He went from 77 yards a game down to 52 yards a game. He went from eight touchdowns down to three. And of course, he missed some time that year with an injury. Travis Kelsey has been really good for this Chiefs team, but it doesn't look like he's quite the same. Like he's still close to his prime, but I would say he's dipped off at least a little bit this year, even though the numbers are pretty good, but the yak, the yards after catch, that is down a yard per uh, per reception, if you will. But with the Patriots, remember, what they did is they let Brandon Cooks go after a one-year deal and they made a trade. Danny Amendola went to Miami. Like, Brandon Cooks was really good for the Patriots in 17, and Danny Amendola was a clutch receiver for this team for a number of years, right? Josh Gordon in 18 had his off-the-field issues. That screwed the Patriots up a little bit. There was a lot of Chris Hogan. It was basically Edelman, a banged-up Gronk, and James White out of the backfield catching passes, right? With Mahomes this year, it's Kelsey, and then there's a massive drop-off, right? Kelsey's at 896 yards. The next closest guy is a rookie in Rice at 663, okay? And then you have Justin Watson at 350 yards. So they don't have a lot right now after Travis Kelsey. So the Patriots, what they did that year is, hey, they played great defense in the playoffs. Remember that Rams Super Bowl is a complete eyesore now. They played great defense outside of the second half against Kansas City, right? Where Kansas City, that epic game where it eventually went to overtime. But the Patriots became a really good defensive team in really the final couple of weeks of that season. And they ran the ball well, right? Like they found a new identity, a power running game. And I'm not giving Sony Michelle the credit for this. It's because they had that, that great offensive line. But if you look at that 18 playoff run, Michelle 24 for 129 against the Chargers, 29 for 113 against the Chiefs, and 18 for 94 against the Rams, right? So the Chiefs have Pacheco, even though he's banged up right now, dealing with a shoulder issue, did not practice on Wednesday. I just don't think they have the ability to lean on their running game the way the Patriots did. But And you also look at it, the Patriots won with their defense. Can they win with their defense, Kansas City? Well, they're seventh in yards per play. They are first in pressure rate. They're tied for third in sacks, but you can run on them. They're 29th, or excuse me, 28th in yards per rush. So they're better than they've been in the past defensively, but it's not like they're one of the elite defenses in the NFL. They're not going to win behind their running game and their defense, right? So the point is, hey, if they win it this year and they get that third Super Bowl, it's going to be similar to what the Patriots did, where they find a new identity down the stretch of the season. Because the way the Chiefs are playing right now, and Mahomes, I'm still saying he's the best quarterback in the NFL and all that, but right now they don't look like a team that has the capability of winning a Super Bowl, just based on how they look recently, right? But They'll have to find some sort of a different strength to be able to do this. And I don't think they can. I think in order for them to win Super Bowls, their quarterback needs to dominate. And I just don't think right now Mahomes has the pieces around him to be able to properly dominate, right? He may need to win ugly, like in the case of the Patriots did in a couple of those games down the stretch of the season. Now, Brady saved them in the 18 AFC Championship game, but a lot of it was ugly and it was defense, especially that Super Bowl against the Rams. 
Mahomes can win them a game, but does he have the horses to say win three playoff games as he ordinarily would? I just don't see it this year from them. So last year, they were able to win without Tyree Kill, but clearly now they're feeling that loss, right? They ha- If they have Tyree Kill this year, they're the best team in the NFL. Like, there's no way around it. So if you look at what the Patriots did, so the Patriots, this also happened to them in the first dynastic run when it ended, and they didn't win from 04 till, again, until 2014. In 06, think about the Patriots. Rache Caldwell, the leading receiver, 760 yards. Rache Caldwell, that was their leading receiver. Then it was Ben Watson at 643, and then it was Troy Brown at 35 years old. He was third at 384. So Brady didn't have a lot of weapons, and they still almost pulled it off. Remember, that was the year where Peyton Manning and company come back in the second half. They beat the Bears in the Super Bowl. The Patriots obviously would have won the Super Bowl that year if they won that AFC championship. But you get the point. They needed to upgrade after losing guys like Deion Branch. And they go out there the next year in 07 after they realize, hey, we need more weapons. They get Welker, and of course, most importantly, they get Randy Moss. They don't win with that group, but they go undefeated the following season. But eventually, it took a while after those guys, right, where they draft Gronk, Edelman develops into a stud, and hence another dynasty is born, right? And with the Chiefs, I'm not going to get into their salary cap situation But it feels like sort of where the Patriots have been at at several points during the dynasty, where it felt like, okay, we're going to need to make big personnel changes. They're going to need to add weapons after the season. And the thing about the Chiefs is guys are going to want to play with Pat Mahomes. And we're talking about star receivers across the NFL, veteran receivers, and they're going to try to get a ring. We saw that same scenario play itself out with the Patriots. And I feel like the Chiefs are going to be awarded that in the future as well. So when you have that legendary quarterback like the Patriots had with Brady, like the Chiefs have with Mahomes, guys want to play with that dude. So it's going to happen eventually when Mahomes has the proper weapons around him. So obviously the window's wide open if you have Patrick Mahomes. But I do think the challenge that the Chiefs are going to have in terms of forming this dynastic run going forward compared to the Patriots, I think the challenge is going to be more difficult to build a sustainable dynasty like the Patriots did for a couple of reasons. Like, obviously, health excluded. Like, if Mahomes stays healthy, I'm saying. Like, if Mahomes has catastrophic injuries, knock on wood, nobody wants to see that for the league. But I'm talking about if Mahomes stays healthy, I still think it's going to be more difficult than the Patriots run, if you will, for a couple of reasons. Because if you look at the quarterbacks, right, that the Patriots face, go to their first dynasty. So, 01, you faced Kurt Warner in the Super Bowl that season, who had been an MVP, And he was basically done in St. Louis after that. Now, credit to Warner, he eventually rejuvenated his career in Arizona. But remember, Bulger takes over. He's really never a Ram after that. He plays briefly, but he was never really their long-term starter after that. So then you look at 03 and 04, the next Patriots Super Bowl wins. Here are the top five quarterbacks in passer rating in 03. The late Steve McNair, who did win a Super, or excuse me, did win an MVP, played in a Super Bowl. Peyton Manning, Dante Culpepper. After that, we're talking about Trent Green and Jake Plummer, who was in the top 10 in passer rating. Brett Favre was sixth. Okay, 04, Manning, Culpepper, a young breeze in San Diego. Donovan McNabb, a rookie Big Ben. Brian Greasy was sixth in passer rating that season, okay? And the Patriots in 03, they beat DeLome in the Super Bowl. And look, he was good in the Super Bowl, but it's Jake DeLome. Now, Manning's the guy that you have to get over, like, within the conference, but the Patriots always dominated Manning, had a great game plan for him. And you think about guys like Big Ben as a rookie you beat in the AFC Championship game in 04. You beat McNabb in the Super Bowl, who's not a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. 
And you had an all-world defense in 03 and 04, right? The Chiefs don't have an all-world defense. Okay, you got your first three Super Bowls with great defenses. The Chiefs don't have that right now, right? And it's very difficult to, like, sustain a great defense now. Like, how long do those things really stay together? You think about the Seahawks, the Legion of Boom. They had, like, a three- to four-year run, and then they got broken up, so to speak. So even if you look at the next dynasty that the Patriots had in terms of the quarterbacks in the league, and the point I'm making is the quarterback play, even though we see, like, the fall-off, the quarterback play at the top level, there has never been more high-level quarterbacks, at least from my perspective, because you go to the next dynasty the Patriots have, 14, top five quarterbacks in passer rating. Romo, Rodgers, like Romo, known as a choker, Aaron Rodgers, Big Ben, Peyton Manning, and then it was Tom. So Ro- Romo, as I mentioned, famously a choker. Rodgers, famously a choker outside his one Super Bowl run. This guy always comes up short in the postseason, and of course... Tom, in a Patriots uniform, never played Rodgers in a Super Bowl or anything like that. He did play him in an NFC championship game when he was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Big Ben was in that team that was just sort of a disaster. Every time they played the Patriots, Brady knew exactly what they were doing defensively. And the Patriots beat Flacco, who was scary. Andrew Luck in that terrible defense. Remember, that famously is the game where Deflategate started. And then Russell Wilson, awesome team, but wasn't like the best group of quarterbacks at that particular point in time. Andrew Luck was good, but the team stunk. 16, and I know they made it to the AFC Championship game, but that's because he pulled off an upset. 16, Matt Ryan. You're thinking about the guys that were top of the league. Brady was in there in terms of, in terms of top five passer rating. Rodgers, Breeze. Sam Bradford was sixth in passer rating. In the playoffs, the Patriots in 16 played Brock Osweiler. In the first round, he threw three picks. Then you played that Pittsburgh team, like I said, bunch of front runners. And remember Antonio Brown prior to that game or the week prior had the Facebook Live. Where Mike Tomlin says, don't give them any bulletin board material. And Antonio Brown literally is streaming it at the time. And then you played Matt Ryan, who was the MVP that season. They had a really good offense. But, I mean, you played Brock Osweiler. And you think about 18, it's Breeze, Mahomes, Wilson, Matt Ryan, Phillip Rivers in terms of the top five guys in terms of passer rating. San Diego, as we know, they were poorly coached. Then you have the big Chiefs win. And then you had the win, of course, in the Super Bowl over... That Rams team with Jared Goff. So that year you beat Phillip Rivers, who was not on Brady's level, and you beat Jared Goff. And of course, the Chiefs win. You can't take anything away from it. So those playoff runs were awesome, right? Where the Patriots, those were amazing games to watch, right? But you also had, for the first dynasty, the best defense in the league for a four-year period, right? And sure, you had some good quarterbacks that you played against, but DeLome... McNabb and DeLome was admittedly awesome in that game but I'm just pointing out the guys you played in the Super Bowls you're talking about DeLome you're talking about McNabb some of the playoff Jared Goff in a Super Bowl right but some of the guys you faced in the postseason the Phillip Rivers the Brock Osweilers and look the Patriots they were winning multiple Super Bowls the only team that won multiple right during that stretch outside of the Patriots was Essentially, the Steelers won in, what, 05 and 08, and the Giants won a couple against the Patriots, but it wasn't like anybody else was winning multiple, so you give the Patriots all the credit in the world. There's no luck. Like The last thing I would ever do is criticize the Patriots dynasty, but the point I'm making is I just don't think the Chiefs can have this long-term sustainable dynasty with the way the league is shaped right now. The Patriots are in a position where they had the far superior quarterback most times, and the Chiefs have that a lot too, but think about it. It was basically Brady and Manning for 15 years, and nobody was close to those two guys. Big Ben was not close to those two guys. Donovan McNabb was not close to those two guys. Phillip Rivers was not close to those two guys. Aaron Rodgers was, but he was never coming out of the NFC except one year where he made it to the Super Bowl, right? Like, 
if you look at the position now, I just feel like it's deeper than it was when Tom Brady was in his prime. And look, this is not, like I just said, this, I want to make this abundantly clear. This is more about the Patriots than it is the Chiefs. Like my point is, I don't think the Chiefs can have this long-term sustainable run because of where the league is right now. If you just look at the AFC, and I get it, Mahomes already has his two Super Bowls, but you look at the AFC, you have Josh Allen, who just beat them last week. I know you can talk about the call, but he did beat them last week. He had them beat in an AFC championship game a couple or an AFC playoff game a couple of years ago if it wasn't for them choking that thing away late. Joe Burrow has beaten Pat Mahomes in the playoffs already, went to the Super Bowl, and he's going to come back healthy, and he's got his guy Jamar Chase. And you think about Lamar Jackson's having an outstanding season, and it looks like they finally have receivers. Zay Flowers looks really good as a rookie, although he dropped a couple of passes the other day. We think about like a young guy like C.J. Stroud. <laughs> he looks like he's going to be a stud in this league. And that's a team that's going to have the luxury for the next four years where they're not going to be paying their quarterback a lot of money. You have Justin Herbert. If they can get the right coach there with the Chargers, I still believe he's a really good player. Tua in that system, that makes a lot of sense with Mike McDaniel. And he's got Tyree Kill right now. So that's going to be a team that you got to go through the next couple of years. Trevor Lawrence is a really good quarterback. I don't think he's quite been what we thought he was going to be coming out of Clemson, but he's still solid. Then you have Drake May, we hope, at the number two pick coming into the conference as well. So the point with this is, I just point this out to say, the only quarterback that you could look at when the Patriots were playing and say, hey, the Patriots have a clear advantage at the position, you would say that every game the Patriots played except against the Colts. And early on, and and later on with the Broncos, and early on, the Patriots had Manning's number. Now, eventually Manning figured it out, right? He wins the playoff game in 06. He beat the Patriots in the playoffs in 13, 15, a different scenario. But that was the only guy that you looked at and you said he's on Brady's level. And with Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes is clearly better than all these guys. But I don't think the gap is so extreme where he can make up for having an inferior roster, so to speak, right? Where it's like, okay, if they play Burrow in a given playoff year, He doesn't have a clear advantage at quarterback. He's better than Joe Burrow, but it's not like the gap is so wide than some of the guys that Brady was going up against in the postseason, right? Where unless it was Peyton Manning, that gap was going to be massive. The same thing I can say about Josh Allen. Even if you don't like Josh Allen, you talk about his turnovers, Josh Allen's still a really good quarterback. And Lamar Jackson, I know he's going to prove himself in the postseason, but if they have similar rosters... You can't say that, hey, there's this huge advantage that Mahomes has over Lamar Jackson. Now, I would take Pat Mahomes over Lamar Jackson, but I'm just saying, like, there are more quarterbacks to deal with, even just in the AFC, than what Brady had to deal with when they were making their dynastic runs, right? So I just feel like the top-end quarterbacks are better, and I feel like this year, if you look at the teams, the Ravens are better as a team. The Dolphins have a better team, even though they choked on Monday Night Football, You look at the NFC, Dak's a good quarterback. He has a better team. Purdy is a good quarterback. Like, obviously, the gap is extreme between Purdy and Mahomes, but Purdy has a really good team, right? So the gap is close enough with a lot of these quarterbacks where you can say, hey, can Josh Allen outplay Mahomes and us not be surprised? Sure, we just saw it happen. Can Lamar outplay Pat Mahomes and not be surprised? Sure. Like with Brady, there were not many guys you could say that about, right? And this isn't an indictment on Mahomes. This is more talking about where the league is in terms of the top end quarterbacks. I think there's a problem in the middle class and the lower class in terms of NFL quarterbacks, but at the top end, it's deeper than it was for most of Tom Brady's career, right? So that's why I think this Chiefs whole idea of building a dynasty and sustaining it, it's going to be more difficult than when the Patriots did it because they had Tom Brady and it was basically Brady and Manning 
for a decade and a half running the league at the quarterback position. And now you have more guys coming into the league that project to play at a high level, right? And I didn't even mention a guy like Caleb Williams, so I'm really high on. He could come into the NFL and be a superstar in the next two to three years as well, right? And look, so the Patriots, what they did, the big thing for them in terms of building their first dynasty, they banked the first three Super Bowls. They took advantage of all those opportunities early on, right, where they won three out of four. The Chiefs, they lost the AFC title game in 18, like we mentioned, to the Patriots, and they would have beaten the Rams. They would have won a Super Bowl that year. I think we all agree on that. And I know they had lost to them previously that year, but they would have won the Super Bowl. You go back to 2020, they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, right? If they had just won one of those two games, they already have that third Super Bowl, right? And because I do think, as I mentioned, they would have beat the Rams in the Super Bowl that season. So they're already a dynasty if they had banked one of those. And the Patriots took advantage early where they got the first three. And what Tom had for 20 years was superior coaching. This is the other part of it where I think it's going to be difficult for the Chiefs to have this dynastic run. And I, because I believe Andy Reid's an elite coach, despite some of the clock management issues in the past. He's one of the best designers of offense in NFL history, right? But if you look at Andy Reid right now, he's 65. The run started when Andy Reid was 60. When Bill and the Patriots, their run got going, Belichick's run, he was 49 and 01, right? So 11 years younger than Andy Reid when he started his run with the Chiefs. The final Super Bowl for the Patriots came when Bill was 66 in 2018. As we mentioned, Andy Reid is now already 65. So how much longer does Reid have? Because he deserves a ton of credit for this run that they're on right now. The guy is a genius. The next guy they hire, no matter who he is, he's not going to ha- be Andy Reid, and he's not going to have that same relationship like the relationship that Andy Reid has with Pat Mahomes, right? Now, it would be different if Kyle Shanahan was the coach and this dynasty, they had won two Super Bowls because he's a young coach that's going to grow and continue to grow with Pat Mahomes, but he's not. He's Andy Reid, who's older. And then you're thinking about it from this perspective. They're going to have to replace one of the best tight ends in NFL history in Travis Kelsey in what, the next one to two years? Not to say that Kelsey can't play for another three to four years, but can he be a number one weapon until he's 37, 38 years old? He's already 34. I just don't see that being the case. And when you have all these other teams, the Bengals are going to get Burrow back, as we mentioned, that have Chase. We know what the Ravens are. The Bills, it feels like, okay, with Josh Allen, maybe they take a dip off. We'll see how they replenish their weapons, if you will, in the offseason and all that. They're going to be around. We'll see what the Texans do. I mean, that's a team that could sign a big-time receiver. I always mention T. Higgins with the Patriots. Maybe they're interested in T. Higgins, right? So they're going to have a salary cap space. So I just think there are similarities with these dynasties, but the landscape now is much more difficult in terms of trying to build the sustainable dynastic team that's appearing in the Super Bowl all the time. Because when the Patriots did it, Bill was much younger, and Tom didn't have the competition at the quarterback position that Mahomes has now. Like, do we really think that Andy Reid's going to be coaching in his mid-70s or even early 70s? I just think that's crazy to think. The one thing that may stop this run in terms of ever being compared to the Patriots run, which I think is kind of rewarding as a Patriots fan, is Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom stopped him in 18 and 20. Tom is the dynasty killer, right? And the Chiefs may still become a dynasty. Like I said, they get plenty of time to get this third Super Bowl, but I'm just talking about this long, sustainable run. I just don't see it with them the way we saw it with the Patriots, right? Because If you think about Tom in terms of being a dynasty killer, he could have killed the Chiefs dynasty. We'll see. Now, maybe they get another one and they have this dynastic run, but he's at least prevented it from now. Like if they win in 18 or they win in 20, as we mentioned, they're already a dynasty. But if you look at Brady, 
He beat the Rams. They were looking for their second Super Bowl in 2001. Remember, they had previously beat the Titans in the Super Bowl, and that was a great team with two MVPs and Marshall Falk and Kurt Warner, and that team was loaded when you're talking about one of the best teams that we've seen with the Torrey Holtz of the world, the Isaac Bruce's of the world, like one of the best offenses we've ever seen, the greatest show on turf. They never got the second Super Bowl. Brady stopped them from getting that in 2001 with that great clutch drive, and of course, the defense deserves a lot of credit as well. The Legion of Boom could have been on their way to forming a dynasty. Remember, they beat Peyton Manning the previous season. If they beat Manning and Brady back-to-back, like, you're on a dynastic run right there. Like, you're on your way to win another one. Like, you're in the conversation as the greatest defense of all time if that happens, considering the fact that you beat two of the best, what, five quarterbacks, depending on where you rank Peyton Manning, two of the top five quarterbacks in NFL history, right? And then, of course, as we mentioned, the Chiefs, the Peyton Manning Colts. I mean, they only won one, but Brady always beat him, it felt like, for most of the time. So I just wanted to get into the Patriots dynasty and the comparison with the Chiefs run, and it does make you appreciate what the Patriots did even more now, and just thinking about how difficult it can be to keep this thing going if you're the Chiefs. Mahomes, as I alluded to, tough to dislike the guy outside of the moment that he had last week, but I'm cheering against the Chiefs going forward because I just don't want a team to ever be compared to the Patriots dynasty where they did it in two separate decades. And the Chiefs are the team right now, but it doesn't feel like they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And to keep this thing up, I think their sort of projection long term is more difficult than the road the Patriots had because the gap between Brady and Manning and every other quarterback in the league was so wide compared to now where it's like, yeah, Mahomes is the best guy, but there's a lot more competition at the quarterback position than there was when Brady and Manning were essentially running the league. And look, partially, that's a lot of credit to Brady and Manning in particular, but it's also just the reality of how many good quarterbacks there are at the top of the NFL right now. All right, a lot more to get into. I do want to get into a troubling development for the Red Sox. We'll do that next. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. All right, and I'm looking at the rematch. The Celtics and the Cavs again coming up on Thursday night. As we saw in the game on Tuesday, I really feel like the Celtics have an advantage against this Cavaliers team. I don't think Cleveland matches up very well against the Celtics team. So how about we parlay the Celtics on the money line with Jason Tatum, 25 points, Jalen Brown, 20 points, and Drew Holiday, four rebounds. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use, and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same-game parlays, the Parlay Hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. So I did want to get to something that happened Tuesday in Red Sox land. I need to address this, and it wasn't the signing of Cooper Criswell that is, what, 37 and two-thirds innings of Major League experience, or basically signing a catcher that has played in five games last season. It's the fact that the Red Sox didn't sign Seth Lugo, a starting pitcher. And look, we talked about Seth Lugo It was last week of the week before when the Red Sox were originally linked to him. And this is not really about Lugo in particular. It's more about how this thing happened. So Chris Cotillo reported the Red Sox were one of the four teams in on him. He gets three for 45 with the Royals, the third year as a player option. And I'm not telling you that Lugo is any sort of a savior. He's a guy that 
is somebody that could eat up innings in the middle of your rotation, right? I mean, I went through the numbers last time I talked about him. Not somebody that's going to strike guys out. He was really high in terms of called strike rate, fifth in Major League Baseball. Does a good job in terms of not walking anybody. That's one of the best things. He does a 6% walk rate, which is a really good number. That was 15th of 67 starters with a minimum of 140 innings. So he projects to be a middle of the rotation guy, right? I'm not saying that he was some sort of savior or anything along those lines, but we know the Patriots, or excuse me, we know the Red Sox, their most important thing, the thing they need the most, or one of the things they need the most, because there was a couple of other items on the list too, is they need starting pitching. And if you look at sort of the playoff teams last year, in terms of the innings they got out of starting pitchers, Houston was second, Philly was third, the Twins were fourth, the Blue Jays were fifth, the Orioles were sixth, the Brewers were seventh, the Rangers were eighth. So you have, what, seven in the top 10, and then you look at the Braves were 12th, the Diamondbacks were 15th, so you have nine in the top 15, and then it tails off Marlins 20th, Dodgers 22nd, Rays 26th. But why did the Dodgers and the Rays lose? They didn't have the starting pitching that they needed. Remember, the Dodgers are dealing with a whole bunch of injuries when it comes to that. And by the way, the Red Sox were 27th. So the bulk of the teams that made the playoffs were teams that got a lot of their starting pitchers. Like this is not brain science, right? Or this is not brain surgery, I should say. The Sox starters last year, as we mentioned, 27th in innings. And they were 26 in home runs per nine innings. They were 22nd in ERA. And if you want to look at, hey, what about the defense? Yeah, that hurt them too. The FIP was 451, which was 20th. And the hard hit rate, the balls off the bat, 95 plus, was 40.9%, which was 22nd. So the starters were not good, right? So the Red Sox, whether or not you or I like Seth Lugo, it's not really important right now. The important thing for this conversation that we're having right now is the Red Sox liked him, right? So even if you wouldn't have been the biggest fan of the Seth Lugo contract, right? You said, hey, I don't want four years for 45 million for, or excuse me, three years for 45 million for Seth Lugo. The Red Sox did like him, right? They believed that he could be a big help in the rotation and the rotation desperately needs help right now. I think we would all acknowledge that. So the two things holding this team back, or I should actually say three things, the starting pitching, the defense, and they need another right-handed bat. Now, they've barely addressed any of these outside of Tyler O'Neill in terms of giving at least an idea that you can have somebody that can hit for some power going back to 2021 when he hit the 34 bombs. Okay, but you still need to add another piece, right? And when it's reported that the Red Sox are a team that's interested in Seth Lugo and one of the four teams that are in on Seth Lugo and he goes to the Kansas City Royals, that's sort of the aggravating part to me, right? Now, If the Red Sox add two starters, which they need to do, they still need to add two starters, I'll say, okay, fine, I'm good with this, right? As long as one is a high-end guy, whether it's Yamamoto, whether it's Jordan Montgomery, or whether it's Blake Snell, obviously we all want Yamamoto, but if it's one of those three, you add one of those guys, I'm happy, right? And then you get a middle-of-the-rotation guy. Now, we'll see, is that Lucas Giolito, who is a high upside guy, like definitely a higher upside than Lugo, but the floor is definitely much lower than Lugo based on Giolito. He walks the ballpark. He really had two good seasons and he's never really lived up to the hype of what he was supposed to be. He was a big time prospect and all that. But hey, if you get Yamamoto, you get Giolito, I'm cool with it. Or if somehow you don't sign one of these free agents and you make a trade for say, hypothetically a Logan Gilbert with the Mariners, I'm cool with that, right? So if you find those two things, okay, cool. Like uh, I'm Not concerned if you actually get those two things, a guy that can be in the middle of the rotation that would have been Lugo and a guy at the top end of the rotation, the guys that we've been mentioning, the 
Montgomery's, the Yamamoto's, the Blake Snell's, and the Logan Gilbert, if you want to go the trade route or Dylan C, something along those lines. Although C seems less likely because not as many controllable years, where Gilbert has a lot of control left, right? So the thing that I'm looking at right now is if that happens, great. But I'm starting to worry now that it's not going to happen, right? Because we've been looking at this, and I don't think it's a Craig Breslow problem, right? Where I think this is more of if it doesn't happen this offseason, if you don't get what I'm saying, two starters, if you don't get that, I won't really think it's a Craig Breslow problem. I'll think it's more of a John Henry an ownership problem, right? Because what they did is they put all the blame on Heim Bloom, right? Heim Bloom's the guy that was sacrificed. Heim Bloom's the guy that was fired. And you know how I feel about Heim. I'm not defending him. I thought the things that he could actually control at the major league level, I thought he handled that them poorly. I thought he did a bad job with the major league team. And I've gone over this multiple times. We did it the day he got fired. I don't have to go into detail on that. You know how I feel about Bloom. But if you just think about it, and you look at the rest of this stuff. When Breslow was asked about financial limitations at his introductory press conference, he said, quote, I don't see financial resources as a limiting factor. Okay. Then Sam Kennedy, at his end-of-the-year press conference, remember what he said. Obviously, this game is about pitching at the end of the day, so we need to improve in that area. You're not improving internally. Now, guys are going to get better within your farm system, and that's part of the reason you bring in Breslow because of what he did in Chicago with their pitching program. But that means externally. You need to add externally. Also from Kennedy, the resources have been there. Where we've fallen short sometimes is the allocation of those resources. That's on us to fix, but the resources for us to spend have been there since 2002. What does that say? Yeah, it was fucking Heim. He screwed everything up. He messed up the resources. He messed up with the money. That is Sam Kennedy blaming Heim Bloom. Okay, he doesn't come out and say, yeah, Heim screwed it up, but that's what he's saying. Okay, now Sam Kennedy went on to say, I want to make that clear. There's a desire to compete. You've heard us say it, and sometimes those words ring hollow when you've had two very disappointing seasons. But there's just nothing like winning in Boston, and we need to get back to that We want that back. They want to compete. We have the resources. We just didn't use them properly. So essentially what you're telling us, if you're Sam Kennedy, is, and what Craig Breslow said is introductory press conference, they're letting me spend, okay? But if you want to compete, you admit it. Sam Kennedy admitted they needed to be better pitching. You need to spend those resources. They need to be spent on starting pitchers or in the case of a Logan Gilbert, sacrificing some prospects to bring in a starting pitcher, right? Okay, that's what you need, okay? And to me right now, Yamamoto seems highly unlikely, but let's see, Montgomery or Blake Snell, one of these guys, and look, Montgomery's the more durable guy. We got into that with Julian McWilliams on the Sunday pod. And you look at Blake Snell entering his 31-year-old season, there's definitely questions in terms of the durability with him. It was his first season north of 150 innings last year since 2018, He is coming off a Cy Young season. He was second among qualified starters in strikeout rate. He was last in walk rate among qualified starters, right? But that's a guy that's a big ticket item. Yamamoto is a big ticket item. Montgomery's a big ticket item. So, and if you make a big trade, Logan Gilbert, I would consider that to be a big ticket item. And all this stuff that Sam Kennedy was saying at the end of the season and what Breslow was saying about financial resources and it's available, it's all bullshit if they don't get two starters, right? So here's the thing. Ownership, blame time, as we mentioned. Who are you going to blame this time? Because we can see through it all. Like if the Red Sox don't come away with two starting pitchers, will you blame Breslow 
after what we just heard from Sam Kennedy at the end of the season, what we've heard from Red Sox ownership, if they don't come away <laughs> with two starting pitchers, who are you going to blame? And if they don't come away with a right-handed power bat like Teoscar Hernandez or an elite defender in right field in Gurriel, who are you going to blame? I'm not going to blame Breslow. We just saw them blame Heim. They said, hey, he's dealing with the resources wrong. Well, if Breslow has all the resources, he and you guys are saying he's good at the job, which I believe he can be good at the job too. We don't know. He just took over, but you guys believe in this guy. It's clear what he needs. Two starters, a right-handed hitter in the outfielder, a right-handed hitter in the outfielder, I should say. You got to go out and sign these guys. So I'm not going to blame Breslow if this offseason goes poorly. And that's not me sticking. I don't even know Breslow. It's not me sticking up for him. It's just we've seen this from ownership, right? So... If they prove me wrong, I'll be happy. I will be psyched. If the Reds, I, there's nothing more than I want to see a competitive team again. Even going back to 2021, where I thought they could have done more to help the major league roster. How awesome was that when they made the run to the ALCS, right? After missing out for a couple of years in terms of the postseason. 2020, that's a lost year. The COVID situation, 2019, of course, that was a bad year. 2018, they won the World Series. That was awesome. That run with Dave Dombrowski when you're in the postseason every year, but 19, that's awesome. So I'm hoping that ownership proves me wrong. I'm hoping that the Red Sox prove me wrong and they get two starters and they get a power bat and they say, let's fucking go and try to compete. But if they don't, I'm not going to blame the guy in the front office. I'm going to blame the ownership group, right? And here's the scary thing too. Alex Cora is in the final year of his contract. Bob Nightingale already wrote that other teams are interested in Cora. It's a really weird situation to have a manager in the final year of his contract, right? Where it's it's sort of like what we saw with Craig Council, where Craig Council, you knew if he doesn't re-up with Milwaukee, there were going to be other teams interested in Craig Council, and the Cubs were, of course, interested. And he wants to go there, and he wants to compete. Cora could have that similar thing. He doesn't want to be here for a rebuild, right? He's a World Series winning manager. He's gone through back-to-back -back years where the team hasn't been good enough to compete in the postseason. That's where he wants to be. So it's going to be embarrassing for the organization if you don't put the proper players on the team and the manager leaves because of that. Cora wants to manage the Red Sox. He just wants to have the proper pieces around him, right? And so I just think about all this stuff. The reality is right now, I worry that ownership is not going to allow Craig Breslow to get this thing done because what we've seen in recent history, right? If you say, hey, you give me Montgomery, you give me Giolito and Teoscar Hernandez. Even though Montgomery and Giolito aren't the main two guys I wanted, like obviously Yamamoto is the number one target, I would be okay with that because at least you're being competitive. Montgomery's a guy you know is going to give you innings. Giolito's a high upside guy, and Teoscar Hernandez is going to hit bombs. Like, I'd be happy with that. Obviously, I'd like, like Gilbert, that would be awesome to bring him in because you have control. But that's what I'm talking about. Just make some moves so you can be competitive because. Right now, like if you got Yamamoto and Teoscar, fans would be psyched. Right now, because of what we've seen, this recent track record, there is anxiousness. You're anxious. You don't think it's going to happen. And what we don't want is another season like we saw last year where come August, this team is non-competitive and people aren't paying attention to the Red Sox. I want to pay attention to the Red Sox. You know me. I love watching the Red Sox. I love baseball. I hope that this team is relevant. I just right now... I don't know how anybody cannot be feeling uneasy about it, right? It just feels like the opposite of how I feel about the Celtics and how I felt about them entering the offseason. You knew they were going to shake something up. They were sick and tired of their offense getting stale in the postseason. And this stuff, we're talking about postseason. We're talking about trying to win a championship. I'm just talking about the Red Sox trying to get back into the postseason with the proper players. But when Porzingis was available, you felt like, okay, 
We know that they've liked him for a couple of years. They're going to be interested. When Drew Holiday became available, you knew the Celtics were at least going to try to get involved in that. They land Drew Holiday. They want to win. And I just wonder, right now, do the Red Sox and not the players, not the coaching staff, not Craig Breslow, but I'm talking about the ownership group. Do they want to win? Because they were unbelievable owners, right? They came in here, won a bunch of World Series. They've been unbelievable. But the past couple of years, it's been a downward trajectory. This thing has sort of been a mess. And I just, right now, if you ask me, hey, are they going to land two starters and an outfielder that hits for power? I would say no. That's just me betting on the recent track record. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just really worried about where the Red Sox are organizationally right now in terms of the ownership group, if they're going to make the necessary moves to try to go out there and get back to the postseason. Oh, one Celtics note I wanted to mention, and then we'll get to a phone call or two. They signed Drew Peterson to a two-way contract. So this is what I love about this. And not I'm not going to act like I've seen him play a ton. But he played with the Heat in the Summer League. And the Heat are really good at developing players, right? They have an eye for these guys. He played for the Sioux Falls Sky Force in the G League. 13 games, 15.2 points, 5.5 rebounds, 40.7% from deep. He's 6'9", about 190. And so... I went on YouTube and I was watching like some of his draft stuff. He he goes undrafted, but at USC averaged 13.9, 6.2 rebounds, 4.3 assists last year, led USC in assists. And so, as I mentioned, this is just cool, like taking him from the Heat, or this has become a rivalry, the Heat and the Celtics over the past couple of years, played in what, three conference championships or conference final series recently. And you think about it, they haven't got a lot out of that wing group after, of course, the main two guys, Tatum and Brown. Banton has been in the rotation, out of the rotation. Brissett was in the rotation briefly at the beginning of the season, not in the rotation now. Lamar Stevens, you're still working on Jordan Walsh at the at the G League level right now. And this is a guy that if you are looking for somebody that can put the ball on the floor, can shoot. Now, we'll see if this for Drew P- Peterson translates to the NBA level. But I like the idea of bringing in a wing that can dribble, that can shoot. He can rebound the basketball as well. Like this, to me, I like the idea of doing this. And I hope he works out for the Celtics. But it's a nice move, and I love, like, my my favorite part about this is that you got him for, think about all the guys that Miami develop, right? We're talking about, the Celtics had Struess. Struess goes to Miami, he plays well. Duncan Robinson, what a success story that guy has been. We've seen the Gabe Vincents of the world, the Caleb Martins of the world, all the success, they, success they've had developing these players. That's what we want to see from the Celtics, right? So I love the fact they took a guy that Miami likes. I mean, I love this. Okay, coming up next, we will get to a couple of calls. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water. 
pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome back into Off the Pike. So we get time for a couple of calls. Let's do that. The number is 617-396-7172. Who's up first? Hey, good morning, Brian. Joe out of West Virginia. The Seas just took down the Cavs at TD Bank North Garden. And they are now 11 and 0 at home. And now, if they are serious about winning it all, what I want to see from them is to take home court advantage in the Eastern and maybe all overall in the entire NBA. And that'll show me that they are really serious about taking it all down. Because if you can do that, that's what you need to do. All right, Brian, as always, enjoy the pod. And you guys take care. You and Jamie will talk to you soon. Bye bye. All right, Joe, great stuff. I'm completely with you. I would love them to get the top seed in the Eastern Conference. And the Celtics, as he mentioned, they've played unbelievably well at home this year. The Garden is a tough place to play. And look, Miami is really capable of winning in the Garden. Other teams have won in the Garden, too. But yeah, I would prefer to have home court advantage throughout the postseason. Certainly would. And I think the Celtics are clearly capable of that. And these guys, like Jason Tatum hasn't taken a game off this season. Jalen Brown has missed games, but it's not because they gave him a day off. The only guy they sit is Horford. So I think they're definitely going to go for the one seed. There's going to be competition, of course, to get that number one spot. But yeah, I, I think they should, considering you have the best starting five in the NBA and you've been awesome at home. You should want to go for that. I, I just I was really pleased with the win over the Cavaliers now. Of course, they have another game coming up against the Cavaliers that we're going to talk about, and I want to see if they make some adjustments in terms of how they cover Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. But I think it's a big sort of stretch for the Celtics where you have these games that are sort of like playoff scenarios where you see the team twice in a row. Like, I'm really more interested in the Magic stuff because we know going back to last season, and look, certain guys weren't playing in certain games, but we saw it in the game that Porzingis went out of. The Celtics have struggled with that team where they match up well with the Celtics in terms of the size that they have. And if I'm the Celtics, I'm taking, me as a fan, I'm taking that loss personally that they had on the Friday after Thanksgiving. I want to get back at these guys. So I'm really interested to see, and I know it'll be a back-to-back, but the energy that they bring against the Magic on that Friday night, Friday night at the Garden. Jeez, I may have to go to that now that I think about it. But I want to see how the Celtics respond to playing a team like the Magic. And I want to see them back up what they did in the first game against the Cavaliers and beat this team. And look, they were able to slow down Donovan Mitchell after he had the Huge first half and the big third quarter. They slowed him down, but I want to see them do a better job schematically against those guys in this game coming up on Thursday night. All right, who's up next? Hey, Brian, Jason in uh, Thurberly, Mass here. So what's the opposite of full throttle? You know, trying to uh, push a vehicle to get it to start, maybe stalling in the middle of the road. That's what the Red Sox offseason has been so far. I mean, now we have Seth Lugo is kind of the uh, – 2024 equivalent of um, Andrew Heaney and uh, the guy that went to the Rays, Zach Eflin, last year. You know, middling free agents that the Red Sox got, got outbid on. I mean, getting outbid by the Royals is more humiliating than losing guys to the Rays. It doesn't get much lower than that. Um, Breslow has to do something. I mean, if he doesn't sign or otherwise acquire a premium top-of-the-rotation starting pitcher – He's a failure. 
I'm out on his whole tenure if he can't do that. The Red Sox had one thing they needed to do this offseason. Get a top of the rotation arm and then get a mid-rotation arm to kind of slot in underneath that guy. Then you have those two. You have Bayo, maybe Chris Sale when he's healthy, and you patch it together and you have a half-decent staff. But if he can't do that, I am out. I want Breslow gone. You know, literally it's what it's going to be. It's going to be like kind of this Patriot season where we've all been waiting for Bill to get fired, except instead of, you know, half of a football season, it'll be four years. Because four years, that's basically the shelf life of a Red Sox GM. I mean, we haven't had a GM last more than uh, four years since Theo, and he was hired 20 years ago. So it just goes to show how dysfunctional and pathetic this organization is. The day they chose not to pay Mookie Betts, they punted the entire decade of the 2020s. I've been saying it since it happened. How does that Mookie contract look now? Now that Shohei Otani, four years later, signed for twice as much. Mookie was second in the MVP voting, and the Red Sox suck and are irrelevant. You know what I want, Brian? This is what I want. This is what I wish we had the technology to do. You ever see that movie Demolition Man? I just want to be frozen. Just throw, put me in a block of ice <laughs> and defrost me when the Red Sox a, have owners who give a shit and spend money. When you have someone running the organization who has balls, unlike Sam Kennedy and unlike his hand-picked GMs, who, who can't even do basic things like sign a mid-rotation starter. You know, maybe uh, I'm overreacting a little bit. There is still time, but nobody can like the way this is trending right now. We're, we're doomed to last place again. And just, I, I've, I've, I'm I'm at the edge, Brian. They need to do something. Please prove me wrong, Craig. Please. Okay, fantastic call, by the way, and great way to represent the North Shore. Colin from Beverly. You know, I'm recording from Peabody, so I love it, man. That was an awesome call. There's a lot to tackle. There are a lot of different points. And by the way, so if you want to leave us a voicemail, that number is 617-396-7172. If you just want to get... Like, you just want to get things off of your chest like that, certainly welcome to do so. If you have a reaction to the Celtics game on Thursday night against the Cavaliers, or if you want to continue to vent about the Red Sox, make sure to leave those voicemails. That was great. So there's a lot of, to pick through there. Obviously, we've covered the Mookie thing in detail here. What a disaster that was. But I'm with you in terms of we have this, we identify the same needs. They need a top end of the, of the rotation guy, and they need another guy to come into this rotation because the one piece you do feel good about, like the two, the best two stories for the Red Sox last year were Casas developed into a legitimate bona fide power hitter. You heard me with Julian the other day. I think he's going to have an outstanding season again. I mean, the guy's awesome. I love the combination of plate discipline and power. And by the way, he was. He was taken when Dave Dombrowski was here. But anyway, we don't want to get into that. And Bayo, that was the second, that was the other great story of last year. And by the way, Dave Dombrowski was here when they decided to get Brian Bayo. But anyway, we're not going to go into the Dave Dombrowski era. But my point with that is, you feel good about Bayo. You worry about Sale in terms of the health. You need two starters into the rotation. The one thing where maybe I'll pivot from what you said or disagree with you slightly is, I don't really think this is a Breslow problem. And we'll bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan here because I really wonder, and look, they... His number one need is to get a top end of the rotation guy. But now that we've seen this, and now that we heard what Sam Kennedy said about pitching being a need, I don't think if they miss out on all these guys, Yamamoto, Montgomery, and Snell, and maybe they don't like Snell because of the walks. We've gone through this. Maybe they're not as high, and maybe they look at it, hey, he's not durable, he's on the other side of 30, and just the build of the player, and they prefer Montgomery. But say their main two targets, their two biggest targets, are Yamamoto and Montgomery and they don't come up with either one, and they get outbid on both those guys, I don't believe that's a Breslow problem. I believe that would be an ownership problem because 
if you really want Montgomery or you really want, now Yamamoto's different, right? Because he's coming over from Japan. He's got all these suitors. But if, if you really want Montgomery, if he's your number one target after Yamamoto, don't let him go anywhere else. Offer him the most money. It's that simple. This is what the Red Sox used to do. Like, that's what you need to do if you're the Red Sox. And if you don't do that, I'm not going to say that's a Breslow problem. I'm going to say that that's a problem with ownership because now we've seen it recently. And look, this ownership group has spent a shit ton of money. They paid the tax for a bad team. But when you come out, right, I mean, the fifth place team two years ago, they paid the tax on that team because Heim screwed up with some of the deals that he made and he didn't get rid of guys at the deadline and all that. But my point is, if you're saying that there's no restrictions and you have clear needs, like, and you said you want to be competitive, it's important to have playoff baseball here in Boston, you need to land one of those guys. I hear you, Brian. I think um, I think they're they're being disingenuous when they say that they have unlimited resources. They just they haven't. They they simply haven't. They were I think 13th last year in payroll. That's not the resources always being there. And like you said, from a Breslow point perspective, he wants to make a good first impression. If he says I have three starters out of five, he's gonna go get some. And if he does, I mean, it's like it's not gonna look good for him if he's like, well, he was two million dollars too expensive, so we let him go. Like, no, that's not how he's gonna think if he is. If he's able to do what he wants to do, right? He wants a competitor team, so he's going to get these guys. Yeah, and I do wonder, like, if they think that they're better off making, like, the I saw Cotillo bring up Logan Gilbert, too. Like, if they think they're better off trading for a guy sure. just because he has years left on the contract, I'm fine with that. That's fine. Like, I'm fine with that. Because right now, like, your farm system is good, especially at the positional group, right? Like, you're, you're not great in terms of the pitching, but you're really good in terms of the position groups, and we've talked about some guys are going to be blocked. Like, if you want to use some of those guys to get Logan Gilbert, who has control for a bunch of years, I'm fine with that. Like, if that's the yeah. guy that you th- that you pick up instead of Yamamoto, instead of Montgomery, instead of Snell, fine. I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, and you add another guy, whether it's the high upside play in Giolito, that scares me just because he's not mm. consistent. But if... I'll say this, like when Breslow signs pitchers, like if they're, if it, if he trades for a guy and he signs a guy, like I'll give him the benefit of the doubt sure. with who he gets, as long as they're what I'm saying, a top end, a guy that looks like a top end guy and a guy that is yeah. a guy that can fit into the rotation and give you 140 innings or so. Yeah, it's just hard to find those top end guys. So I, I hope he can do it. I think the thing that scares me more is not so much, you know, it's, it's early days, but I think people at the call are the reason to be skittish and scared because we've seen a couple of years of this. I think that bothers me is when you see Yamamoto come to the U.S., you know, Steinbrenner's right there in the room with them. Cohen's right there in the room with them. It's like, where the hell is John Henry? I mean, it's just not his style, I guess, but it's just hard not to think he's a little disengaged and unplugged compared to some of these other owners, and that usually doesn't, you know, result in a championship team, right? Yeah, and I don't want to sound like ungrateful because they were great owners, right? Things like they, change, they though. Got, yeah, they got you a bunch of World Series. It just feels like the Red Sox aren't the priority that they once were for this ownership no, group, right? That, that's the thing that concerns me. Now, I will come on this pod and I will say I was a fucking idiot for saying that. If they get Yamamoto and they yeah. sign Giolito and they sign Teoscar Hernandez or... Guriel. Like, if they do that, I'll say, you know what? That was just, <laughs> I was stupid. They do care about this, but they still have to prove me wrong on that because we need to see it because it's it, like, it's so easy to identify what this team needs. Two starters and a guy that can hit from the right side of the plate. And that's not even get like the defense. I don't know how you clean that up in one offseason. You just can't do it with the personnel you have. But the two things you can fix 
is the rotation to some extent and adding a power bat to yeah. play right field. I mean, those are two things you can easily control. So if you come out of this and you solve those two problems, I'll say, yes, ownership is back in. They care. If you don't do those things, then I'll say, I, I have real trouble blaming Breslow. I do. I, I yeah. would put this more on ownership. And I think too, it's like, you know, a way to tell me that you care is to come out and say, hey, I care. <laughs> He's unable to do that. I mean, it's like, you see Rob Kraft uh, at the owner's meeting last season. He's like, I really want, it matters a lot to be in the playoffs. And Wick Grosbeck coming out and say, we really need to change the team. And obviously people have different styles, but it, sometimes it's that simple. And if you just don't say anything, it's hard not to infer things. Yeah. And like I said, they, they've spent a ton of money on this team. They, they've done it on multiple times where they've gone in and they've gone into the CBT. And now the Celtics are doing it because of the fact that they have a championship caliber team. They're going to be a second apron team. And... Robert Kraft saying that stuff, like, obviously, he wants to get back into the yeah. postseason, and you would think he's, like, contemplating moving on, maybe, from the greatest coach of all time, just because of that. Like, he wants to be competitive again. I just want to see that juice from the ownership group, and I Same. hope those words are in hollow, because I can't take, like, another irrelevant season from this team. I just can't do it. And if you do that, you're going to lose the manager, too. Because yeah. you know what's going to happen? A team will do what years ago the Cubs did. A team will fire their manager to hire Cora like a team fired their manager to hire Joe Madden. Right. Like, Cora is a great playoff manager, and I just want to see this team back into the postseason. I think they have the capabilities of doing it if they just add. I'm not saying this, if you add now Yamamoto and, say, Giolito and Teoscar Hernandez based on the division, it doesn't guarantee you a playoff spot. But at least you've given the guys on the major league roster and the manager and the coaching staff a chance to do it. And Craig Breslow, yeah. a chance to do it, right? At least you're giving them a chance. Yeah. And I think I think it's it's also a matter of like the city of Boston. You mentioned it's like we like baseball and it's just you string these years together and people just start to tune out a bit, especially when the Celtics are doing well. And then obviously you want a competitive team, but I I and I think a lot of people you want some stars to go and watch at the stadium. And it's like you need some guys, and I'm sorry, like Maybe Giolito's a great, will turn his stuff around, but like, it's just not like selling tickets. Like, you got to get some big guys like Yamamoto, right. not necessarily but, just him, but someone like that. But if you signed Yamamoto or Montgomery or Snell, or you traded for Logan Gilbert and you brought in Giolito, you would be okay with that as like a, as a guy that you take a shot on in the rotation to go along with the top end guy. I want some wins. So yeah, if they, if they yeah. create 90 wins or whatever, then yeah, sure. I'll take that, but I want some, some big fishes as well. Let's say I'm not holding my breath, Jamie. I, I know. Well, the resources are there, Brian, though, so I, I shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, the resources. The resources the are there, part. man. They got all yeah. the resources. All right. So we're going to be back with you. We'll preview the Pats and the Chiefs with my buddy Alex Gold from 610 in Kansas City. The Chiefs are having some issues right now, so we'll preview that game with Alex Gold. And basically, as we did last week with Pony, we have to determine, is this game winnable? Last week, we found out it was because the Patriots <laughs> beat the Steelers. Let's hope that... Alex Gold doesn't come out here and say, hey, I'm worried about the Patriots. That's going to be my number one. Hey, can the Patriots actually compete with this team? So we'll get into that with my buddy Alex Gold. Jamie and I will give you our picks for the week as well. And, of course, we'll react to the Celtics and the Cavaliers. Good stuff, Jamie. Thanks, Brian. All right, remember, if you want to leave a voicemail, 617-396-7172. You can also email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 